0: Hello and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. This week I was joined by Cedric Chambers who is a multifaceted, multi-passionate, just amazing, incredible human being. He is a CEO, transformation coach, corporate diversity consultant and inclusion thought leader. He's had years of experience in corporate recruiting in HR And he's funneled his experience, his expertise, and his purpose and passion into empowering underserved communities to secure positions and thrive in corporate America. And this all led to him starting up Jump Recruits, which is a diversity recruitment technology company, as well as the Cornerstone Collective Group, a family of companies dedicating to advancing the Black experience in America. So, as you can see, Cedric is a doer, Cedric is passionate, Cedric is seeking how to add greater value to the world around him. And so I encourage you to tune in, get your favorite beverage and enjoy. Hi, Cedric. Welcome to The Generation. It's awesome to have you today. Oh, Nikkei, thank you very much uh, for the invite. Excited
1: for the, uh, the interview. Uh, hopefully everything is going well on your side.
0: Yeah. I got my coffee
1: are... ready. Good. Coffee ready. We're about to have a great conversation. I know yeah,
0: it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Tell us more about who you are and your journey in life and how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah. So look, that's a um it's a broad question. <laughs> and so, you know, th- th- this is what I would say. Um, you know, originally, you know, from in the States, from Georgia, uh, Columbus, Georgia, and I always like to reference that it's not mm. Atlanta. Uh, Mm -hmm. at all and so you know everyone who has this picture of what Atlanta ATL looks like that is not it um and so it's a (laughs) a smaller way smaller rural uh, town that I'm from a single parent household middle child of three uh you know we grew up I would say you know fairly we were you know in poverty right low income you know making it you know check it check but I would say this though um we grew up in a space to where everyone around us was like that and so it was something, to be honest, that I did not realize until I was probably in high school. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when you get into high school, folks start, you know, new clothes, new shoes, you know, all this stuff starts to happen. And then you realize like, yeah, I ain't got that. It's something different. And so, um, you know, understanding kind of that journey and that path for me, um, you know, went through, you know, a, a lot of things kind of shifted. And I like to think about my life in this way, is that. There, there are probably, I would say, three to five pivot points or like kind of change of directions that have happened in my life to where I can like pinpoint the decision that was made or the thing that happened, um, you know, that prevent, prevented me from going down the path, right, to, versus getting me to where I am today. And so I think about those things versus like playing sports, really not thinking about college in um in high school, mm. you know, switching over to football and then getting interest. And that really, to be honest, as much as, you know, school was important and things of that nature, um, you were still kind of taught, like, be a fireman, be a police officer, do those type of things. <laughs> um, not until, you know, I actually got that interest from college football uh, schools and, um, and and different programs and things like that, that I really think about college being a real opportunity uh, for me. And so... A lot of things kind of transpired to that point to where, you know, I ended up going to, you know, one of the best HBCUs, historically backed colleges in the mm. land, Savannah State University. <laughs> and, uh, you know, went there, got my undergrad bachelor's degree. Um, you know, as I, as I navigated through that process and through that career, you know, I started to have these, these kind of, I would say real talk conversations with myself around mm. what is it that you want to do? And I, and I'll be honest, I didn't have an answer. I did not know for any reason. I'm like, I'm getting a degree. I love entrepreneurship. You know, me and my best friend started our first business in high school, cutting grass, E&C lawn services, shout out. You know, we started it in the effort to get money for football, you know, ended up making it into a business. Hmm. And I'm going to stop right there because we probably didn't pay taxes like we should have. <laughs> <laughs> At that time right we had a we had a lawnmower i had an 82 cadillac um fleetwood couldn't even fit the lawnmower in the truck <laughs> just slid <just laughs> it in there as bit as much as i could so that we can go cut grass 50 for the front 25 for the front 25 for the back 10 if you want us to edge it up we was making money uh, <laughs> and so you know we we ended up doing that um, you know, I get into college, right? And so I always thought I wanted to do some entrepreneurship, uh, but I actually kind of went down this path of doing like operations supply chain um, and going down that path. Um, You know, one of those things i talk about, like those switches, those little pivots in my life that happened. Um, you know, I ended up with going to a conference uh one year and, you know, we went to this conference, we drove down to it, um, you know, excited to go. We get to this conference and it was for my fraternity. We get to this conference and then I find out, we find out that, we didn't register for the conference. And so we mm-hmm. found that our keeper finance never paid the money registration. So we're sitting at the conference, you know, with no way to get in. And so we get there dressed up in our suits, ready to go in day one and find that out. And so we end up having to go and actually get the money from like a Western Union so that we can go and pay for the actual conference to get in. As we're walking downstairs, I remember like it was yesterday. As we're walking downstairs, we get to my car, I look and my back tire is flat. Now I'm in mm-hmm. college. Don't have much money. You know, my back tire is flat. I'm trying to figure out, man, like what's going on and what's happening. And so, you know, we end up going through this process of, you know, put the dummy tire on. You know, we went to go get a new tire for the car that that cost me like $80, $90 of money I didn't have. Um, you know, we went through that took probably a couple of hours to do. We went and got the money that took another couple of hours. And so by the time we got back to the conference, that day was over with. We started ready to go. That day was over with. During that conference, they had a presentation about um, uh, internship uh, for a large multinational organization that we missed. And so I was at the point at that time where I was tired. I was drained. I still had my suit on, but I was walking back to my room just like, I just want to go lay down for a little bit. And then I ended up walking past an individual who said, hey, did you catch our presentation inside of the conference? And I was like, nah, man, I'm just going to go to the room. And he said, come in for a second. Tell me about yourself. And so we just started talking a little bit. And then- the next thing you know he said you got a resume and the one thing my teacher taught me in business school was that i always keep a resume on you like wherever mm-hmm. you go and those conferences mm-hmm. keep one on you so i ended up giving him the resume and then on the spot he said come on step in here real quick let's have a conversation so we stepped in we started to talk a little bit 15 minutes later he said you know i want to offer you you know opportunity to come to the symposium in ohio Um, and we want you to come in. It's going to be a leadership symposium. You're going to be able to meet a lot of individuals, you know, learn a lot of things, X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, it was something once at that moment, I was like, you know, what just happened, right? I just went from, Mm -hmm. you know, not being able to attend a conference to ultimately, you know, just getting accepted into on the spot, into a symposium in Ohio. I've never been on a plane. The furthest I've ever been from home is four hours. I'm like, and I said yes to it. And so <laughs> I immediately said yes. I was just like, not until I said yes, and I was like, that means I gotta fly. I'll
0: figure it out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Say yes, I gotta figure go. it out. <laughs> and so and so we go through that process right I ended up going to this um this, this leadership symposium. And I would tell you this, that was one of the 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 second moment that changed my life. Um up until that point, I had really never seen a professional, a business professional in corporate America. Um, you know, even with the career fairs at school, it was a lot of banks, um, local banks, local organizations that come, a lot of the military and things of that nature, to where I never seen, you know, someone that looks like me in, you know, a large organization really, you know, making things happen and doing it. And at that symposium, I was exposed to that. And I'll tell you this, at that time, my mind at that point had been expanded because I almost felt a little bit like everything I had been told up until this point was probably a lie. This, that's kind of how my mind was thinking. Cause I'm like, I don't got to be a fireman. I don't got to be a police officer. This route that I'm going down with that's going to pay me $30,000 a year to mm. do logistics. That's not the route that I'm doing because y'all are telling me y'all going to pay me 45,000 just to be an intern. Mm. And so, and so I'm like, thinking you through some of this stuff. Right. And so as we go through that process, when I ended up getting the internship, interviewing, getting the internship, Uh, you know, coming back, um, went great, coming back to school um, that fall, uh, graduating, uh, and then kind of navigating through that process, right? Um, You know, just to kind of fast forward there, you know, I ended up getting my uh, master's uh, at the Ohio State University, in a university, and uh, master's in human resource management. Uh, I spent, you know, I would say probably four to five years after that, uh, in HR, uh, graduated from a leadership development program, you know, traveling, you know, around the world. I think I've moved probably six times wow. um, in in the span of those years, um, different roles, different opportunities, going to different, you know, symposiums and things of that nature. Um, and so, you know, I would say probably, you know, right around the time I was in my fourth or fifth role, I got to the point to where, you know, I started to, I was, you know, growing in HR. I was having, you know, a, a great career thus far, moving, moving fairly quickly and things were going well. And, I started to, things started to happen that I did not agree with morally. And it, it started to get to a place to where I knew that there weren't many people that looked like me inside of the business. And I, I just said, hey, what can I do to get more people in? And I'm in HR, you know, I, I'm in the hiring conversation, those discussions. I'm thinking, yes, I have that power, that that ability to be able to make some change happen. And ironically enough, you know, it would be situations and times where I would bring in people that were, you know, head and heels above anyone that they were bringing into to their programs. And they would still not even get considered for roles and opportunities. And every time I turned around, I would ask why. It always appeared that it was another excuse. Another excuse as to why they couldn't get uh, hired. One excuse that kind of baffled me and it kind of did it for me was that they, it was for a leadership program. They wanted them to go into finance leadership program. And they said, I asked them, I gave them some candidates. I said, hey, they went through, they got you know, uh, internships, PWC, Ernst & Young. They have mm-hmm. their undergrad. They have their master's in accounting. Um, this is a great candidate, right? And they said, well, you know, this person seems like this would be a step down for them. And I say, no, it won't be a step down because the amount of experience that they have actually lines up with who you hire for the program. Mm-hmm. But because they saw that it was a master's of accounting degree, they tried to put it as well, this could be a step down for them when in actuality, it wasn't because you have two routes in a county. You can do 155 hours in undergrad to get your CPA, or you can do the 120 in undergrad and then do the other 25, 30 in your master's program to get the same CPA qualifications, right? To to have, be able to go take the exam. Mm. And so when I started to see these, these 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 um, what's the word here? Um, excuses or reasonings as to why they weren't going to hire. And that was just one example. I started to really start to dig into what's going on and what's happening. Mm-hmm. And as I started to dig into that a little bit deeper, you start to see that it was happening across the business and a lot of other places to where people were qualified. People were, were they could do the job and were probably already doing a job better than some of their counterparts, but then weren't getting opportunities. And then you go into situations to where they're doing recruitment at schools to where you have one, two percent black, African-American, Hispanic populations at these universities. And you're going out there and you bring bringing back a drove of just full of white candidates for these roles and not mm. going to these places to where you actually know. We know that there's great talent. We know that the talent pipelines exist, which is which is a lie when companies say that it doesn't. Mm. But I started to see these trends start to happen to where I just started to figure out like those conversations I started to have myself, like, is this the place for me? And really what it boiled down to was if I continue on the path that I'm currently on, would I have made the impact that I wanted to make? Mm. And that was a question I started to ask myself and I started to get to that, that, that reason or the answer and saying, I I can't make the impact I want to make inside of this organization. And so I started to figure out what was next, right. Um, Mm. Going through that process, you know, and I spent, look, I spent years working, you know, in corporate. Corporate is nice. They pay you good money. You get a leadership program. All these different stuff is, is great. You move around, you know, don't have to pay for none of that stuff. And so I started to go through this process of, like, what's next for me? And I remember the day as it was clean, January 6th at 1235 in 2016. I got this idea. And this is so specific because I shot up out the bed so fast to write it down that I had to go do it. Um, I got this idea around how can I use my skills around HR recruitment, diversity and inclusion to use it in a business, you know, perspective to where I can go help other companies do this. And that was essentially the birth of Jump Recruits. Wow. And so, you know, and so, you know, started Jump Recruits in 2016, you know, um, we Essentially today, full service recruitment firm, you know, focusing on, you know, one, how do we help candidates get access to more opportunities within corporate America? But then two, how do we help corporate companies build structures, strategies, as well as the culture and the processes needed to not only attract and hire uh, diverse talent, but then also um, retain and advance and help them grow within their organizations. And so Hmm. I'm going to stop there. (laughs) because i I went a lot but i'm I'm gonna stop there um and there's a lot more to it but i definitely want to make sure that um you know we kind of go have some dialogue here but that's just a little bit
0: (laughs) No, no, no no that's incredible i think like just unpacking your your journey um having an understanding of you know your evolution has really brought to light why you are passionate about transformation, why you're passionate about diversity and inclusion, and empowering undeserved communities. Yeah. I wanted to take a step back. Um, quite often, when we have this conversation about DNI, um, it's really from a place of um, empowering marginalized communities and from a place of like equity, essentially. Um, but I want to twist the conversation a little bit. Um, what is the what do companies, corporates, what do they stand to gain when they have more diverse teams?
1: Yeah, um, you know it's it's a lot, right? First of all, I'm gonna tell you this: the world is not gonna be can't be as successful as it could be without Black people, Hispanic mm-hmm. people as such, right? We just we just bring that sauce and that culture. Um, but you well, know, <laughs> I would say that <laughs> I would say that when you're bringing in different perspectives and different backgrounds to the organization right the one thing that an organization is looking to do is one make money two they need to make sure that they're you know sustainable for the future you know in that organization so they can be able to last for you know a long time and when you think about that what what is an organization made of organization made of people right that's your not only is your biggest expense on your on your balance sheet um, but it's also your biggest asset within the organization is your people. Mm-hmm. And when you bring in um, people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, right, you're not only able to get the ideas, understand kind of, you know, the differences and how people think, but you're building products and you're building services for the world and what mm-hmm. the world looks like. And the world is just not white. The world is just not black. Right. The world is different shades, different colors, different ethnicities, religions, different genders like the world is different. And so when you're building your products, you have to take into account all those various different facets of who are the people that make up, whether it's the nation, the country, the state, the world that we live in. And being able to make sure that if we're going to be a product for those people, if we're going to be a product um, for those countries or whoever that may be, do we have the representation in our organization that will allow us to get the firsthand you know, input from those backgrounds to say, what should we do? How should we be looking at this? Is there anything that we're missing? Like, what should be our approach to these conversations, right? Having people at the table in those discussions will allow you to really get the full breath of how can we be as innovative as possible but then Mm -hmm. also make sure how can we make sure that every customer every person that we touch our product connects in a personable way because we have people on the other side that's from those various different cultures and background that's helping us make those connections for us and so that's the benefit you know when it comes to diversity in organizations right it's something like as we look at you know statistics in the u.s you Mm -hmm. know Last year, we've had over 50% of children under the age of 16 are now people of color. And so now you've seen the change in a mass way shift in the U.S. to where in 15, 20 years, predominant race or culture in the U.S. will not just be white um, or Caucasian, I would say, you know, in this particular situation. You know, it's going to be more diverse. It's going to be that Milton Pot, right, that we live in. And so how do organizations, understanding that information, make sure that they're building products now that they're doing what they need to do now in order to have not only to be you know here when that time comes right in 15 20 years but also to make sure that we're providing for the people that make up you know our nation and so there's a lot of you know business benefit there's a lot of cultural mm-hmm. benefits you know there's a lot of you know when it comes to um, Economical benefits, right? When you think about being able to, you know, have people come into the organization and make those salaries and make those incomes that can change their lives. So it's a lot, right, that comes from the, the benefit of not only what organization gain from diverse, hiring diverse individuals, but then also, you know, what diverse individuals gain from going to organizations, right?
0: No, this is powerful. Really, really powerful. And so if there's such a compelling case for it, mm-hmm. like you've, you know, highlighted from an economics perspective, cultural. I guess beyond. Why? Why? What are the challenges that corporates are facing in improving the diversity and inclusion of their workforces?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a wide another another. It's a great question. It's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a broad one, though. Um, this this is what I would say as there are many things that we can do, right? Every culture, every company, their culture in that company is different, right? So there's kind of nuances to what should happen, right? Within certain organizations. But I would say as a whole, and from my perspective, how I've seen it, the organizations that I work with, the things that I've, I've looked at, read research that I've done, the biggest piece that I, I see preventing corporate organizations or just any organization from really progressing in this space, is that we're solving for the symptom we're not actually solving for the problem. Mm -hmm. And and that is something to where Hmm. we are, you know, if if I say that, you know, my leg hurts and you want to, you know, go in and solve for that pain. The question is, why does your leg hurt? What happened? How Mm -hmm. do we get to this place? Your leg hurt? That's what we're not solving for in corporate. So we want to, we want to get to this place to where we say, you know, Hey, let's talk about unconscious bias. Let's mm-hmm. talk about how do we go in and recognize bias? What do we do? How do we interact in these situations? The real question in that particular situation is just an example, is help an individual understand why do you have the bias? How did it come about? What are the interactions from birth, growing up? Like, how was this instilled to you up until this point so that we can understand and pinpoint what the problem is? Because if we're just focusing on ultimately unconscious bias, which is a symptom, Of how you were raised, the people that you're around, the interactions that you have, the conversations that you have. Unconscious bias is a symptom of all of that. And so, if we only focus on the symptom, we can't really go in and solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And so, I would say that the failure to identify what the problem is, is hurting organizations from moving forward. Mm -hmm. The other piece of that is in America, there's more effort put into not wanting to face reality
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the, the denial mm-hmm. getting like trying to x out certain things that happened in our history like trying to say what what's already happened it's already happened it's already been done and mm-hmm. you're trying to say that that wasn't the case we don't want to understand the impact of race and how that how much not only has that impacted up until this point but how it impacts now right we don't we don't as a we don't want to face this aspect of what is systemic racism. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a question of are you a racist? The question mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the systems, the institutions were built on a philosophy. They were built on racist practice, racist laws, racist policies mm-hmm. that are still operating those systems and those institutions today. And so recognizing the problem Is probably the biggest piece. And when you don't want to recognize a problem, what you end up doing is you end up going to the symptoms. Well, I want to have, you know, um, you know, events in the organization, uh, business resource groups want to have fun, you know, food, fun and fellowship. But the question is not: Have you solved the problem? Mm-hmm. Have we actually changed behaviors? Have we helped folks un- understand from a self-awareness perspective? Have we helped folks understand, you know, deeper around, you know, who they are? How do they contribute to this? What are those things in their background that's helped them get to this place, right, um, that mm-hmm. we're at today? We don't do that as a as a as a as a as a as a whole. Mm-hmm. And then there's so much that is happening externally, right? critical race theory is not a big thing right <laughs> in, in 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 america right um you know we, we just recently had juneteenth uh, mm-hmm. become a federal holiday right mm-hmm. um but you still have states that don't want to teach it in school you still mm-hmm. have states that don't want to recognize that slavery happened you mm-hmm. still have a lot of these things to where we know what the truth is not only is it in book it's been documented you know we have in some cases footage i.e black wall street massacre right tulsa massacre it is footage and you have people who still don't want to believe that it happened you have survivors from that still alive today mother fletcher mm-hmm. was 101 mm-hmm. years old I and people that. still mm-hmm. don't yeah. want to believe that it happened and so like that's that that's that piece around america not wanting to face this reality America and I want to come to this hmm. point to where we look at, you know, the only way for us to move forward is to address what has happened and to once again address the problem so that we can move forward together in this, in this, in this, you know, country and this system that we're in. Um and a failure to hmm. do that, right, is hmm. is ultimately gonna hold us back. Um and that's that's anything, right? It's like you know, you go to a therapy session, you gotta be honest, you gotta tell the truth, right? We have to address the problem. We can't heal, we mm. can't actually move forward. Mm. Um, and the failure to do that has has hurt us in a lot of ways and continue to hurt us.
0: Wow. <laughs> wow. I I I'm like wow. No, there's so much that you said there that's just so it's it's so powerful. We must first accept that there's an issue before we can actually address it. Um, There must be a willingness to have uncomfortable conversations. You started off, you know, explaining that it's not about whether you're a racist. So having the conversation on diversity and inclusion or breaking down systemic racism isn't to vilify a person and wag a finger at you you white person you're a racist but it's speaking to the system um and acknowledging this wider system that's um it's so pervasive it's in the air um there's no running from it so it's not about a person it's about a system
1: yeah it it is and i and i'll tell you this the question then becomes yeah, have people say, well, I'm not a racist. That was, you know, our, our, our ancestors, our fathers, you know, father, oh. father, grandfather, all this stuff. The question then become, well, your great, 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 great grandfather, the system that you built, they built. One, how you benefited from it today. And two, in order for these systems, in, in order for these systems to up, to stay, you know, um, present, in order for that racism to still be here today, you have to uphold it. So that means you play a part oh. in the system. Right. And so you to say that you're not a racist is one thing, but to still accept the privileges that that system gives you is another thing. Because Mm -hmm. as long as you still accept the privilege that you get from that system that was built on racism, then you're still a part of the problem at the end of the day. And until you go to that place to where you you don't accept those privileges anymore, you start to look and you start to go against, you know, the privileges that you get in those particular situations until you start to say, hey, no, I'm not going to, you know, reap the benefits from this then you're still a part of the system that was created right and it's something to where you know it mm-hmm. it is the things that have changed right you know slavery changed 13th amendment came you know you read 13th amendment you know it's is outline outline slavery adjust uh, to unless you know crime criminal you go to prison then you kind mm-hmm. of go back to the same place it's building systems to where now Yes, we're going to we're going to enact a law that's going to ultimately free slaves. Mm-hmm. But then now we're going to disproportionately put African-Americans in prison, which we specifically stated is mm-hmm. the modern day slavery in mm-hmm. the 13th Amendment. And so it's it's doing things like that. Right. We think about, you know, the housing. Right. We think about, um, you know, wealth. Right. We think about all these different things. Right. That are that are happening the systems were put in place and then those systems continue to be upheld mm-hmm. by the people who benefited from those systems and mm-hmm. as long as those people benefited from those systems those systems still they held strong even mm-hmm. until today and so that is that's the conversation that we got to have is that i'm not going to i'm not saying you're racist yeah what i'm it's saying rac- is it's not personal you benefit from Systemic. a system mm-hmm. right and you uphold it, and as long as you accept the privileges from that system, then that system will continue to live on. Hmm.
0: So, um, so for those corporates that want to improve DNI, you've said we can't just look to um, treat the symptom; we have to go deeper to the cause. Yeah. Um, so, what what do you think corporates, business owners, can do in doing that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think that it is, you know, I, I would say this when you're going in, you're, you're, you're trying to move this forward. Um, you have to connect with people on individual level to help them really go into self-reflection to understand once again, how have I played a part in this system until someone accepts their role in the system, you can't solve or eliminate the system that's continuing to thrive that they're contributing to. Mm-hmm. That, first of all, and this is the one thing I want to make clear. The word privilege It's one, it's not an attack on an individual,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? That's the first part. The second part is, and this is something that we got to recognize as well, as Black people, we have privilege as well. We yeah, have certain privileges has, too.
0: Everyone has privilege. And, and that's to varying part, degrees. So
1: where, correct, to varying degrees. And so that that is something that I want to make sure that it's not like, okay, we're going to attack a certain mm-hmm. group of people, white people. Like, it's not it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It, 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 is, it is ultimately going through and helping understand what are the systems that were built, helping those people understand within your organization how they contribute to those systems, and then what can be done in order to break these systems down within our organization. There's a lot, of, whether that's pay, you know, the way that we're paid, pay gaps, and that, stuff, that piece of it, the way that we're promoted. You know, if that's the the rubric by which you select your leaders off of, the question is, one, how did you create that rubric to select your leaders? How did you create the criteria for leadership development within your organization? How do we know who gets the best projects and who don't get the best products, the most visibility and who does These are various different systems that are being created inside of organizations to where you have to go back and reexamine you have to understand how do we get to the place that we are today, and then we have to break it down and rebuild it so that we can rebuild it in a way to where this is what we want. This is the path that we want to be on for the future. Mm. Some of that is through, you know, education. You know, I'm not a big fan of training. Mm. <laughs> I'm, gonna say, I'm gonna say that. Um, I am a fan. So, and I'm gonna say it this way: a lot of training, I'm not a fan of. If you do training, training has to be done in a way to where it is a reoccurring event, situation that happens that allows for not only just that one day, that one moment to happen, how are you doing a training? How are you giving supplemental information? How are we following up to make sure that how are we doing? What are some things we can do better on a very kind of you know consistent basis, you know, every month, really checking in, posting, seeing how those things work, providing modules, providing readings, providing other aspects to where they can go and continue to learn about themselves learn about everything that's going on having those conversations with different groups inside of the organization because in a lot of cases right sometimes we just need to have a conversation we just mm-hmm. need to go talk to people from different backgrounds or different groups we need to immerse ourselves so that we can learn and not let the media not let the imagery of what's being put out there dictate the way that we feel the way we think the way that we act and so mm-hmm. for organizations it, it's, it's a piece of that right it's a piece of breaking down those systems by first understanding how did we get to today, I love the West African term of "sankofa," mm-hmm. you know that. that is, so mm-hmm. that that is that is one of my favorite terms. Right, looking back, really to inform moving forward, and so how do we do that as a, as an organization? Right, there's also aspects to where organizations need to prioritize culture and, and culture over individualists. Meaning, mm-hmm. Jim, yes, he's a great salesperson, but Jim is a racist. And everybody in the organization knows that Jim is racist, and I'm not picking on anybody named Jim. I just threw a name out there, <laughs> <laughs> so, so everybody named Jim. I'm not talking about you. This is an example, but we have to understand that once again, a lot of the, there are a lot of people that we have in our organization that uphold the culture that we don't want. Mm-hmm. And no matter how successful they are individually, no matter how much value they bring to the business, performance wise, we have to make the decision as an organization if we want to shift the culture, if we want to transform the culture, we need to ultimately look at the people who make up the culture and figure out who's representing the behaviors and values of the culture that we want and who's not. And then Mm -hmm. make sure that we get out of those, those engagements and relationships as fast as possible. Right. And and it, and it's a, it's a, it's a burning of the, it's a burning of the current state is what I would say. And what Mm -hmm. I mean, there is, you know, I'm big on transformation not change, right? Mm-hmm. The way that I look at that, I say change is like a tadpole, right? We think about the process of becoming a frog, tadpoles grow legs, it gets bigger, it tail disappears. Ultimately you have that frog and that toe, but the toe to frog looks very similar mm-hmm. or it resembles the tadpole that it came from. That's mm-hmm. change. When we think about transformation, we think about the caterpillar. You go through that metamorphosis process, cocoon, you come out as a but- butterfly, But then you look at the butterfly, it resembles nothing of the caterpillar that it started off with. It can't go back. There's no way to actually go back to being a caterpillar. There's no way that you could see that what I was before in what I am today. And so when we think about transforming those systems, we have to look at how do we make sure that as we move forward in this transformation process, we're preventing the ability for us to revert or go back to where we were before. And that is something that as organizations, when we think about leadership changes, when we think about, you know, what's the DNA of the organization and how do we continue to move this forward? Those are just the the deep, deep discussions that we have to have in corporate that's going to allow us to move into a space and move into a place to where we can actually make progress. Because if I run a relay race and, you know, my grandmother ran the first leg of the relay race, my mother ran the second leg and I run a third, but if my third leg is a repeat of my mother's second leg of the race. We haven't made progress, right? We just continue to run the same leg of that race, right? So, you know, so how, how do we make progress? How do we handle the baton out so that people can get further? And mm-hmm. so hopefully mm-hmm. to answer your question, because I'm, you know, me, I, I'm just, I love this, this, this space. And so um, it's just something to where, you know, there's so much progress that can be made. I'm excited about it. It's very emotional to a certain extent, but mm-hmm. I know that we can make it right? If we take the right approach, um, to understand what the problem is and really address it.
0: I love what you said about the distinction between change and transformation. Uh, that's just <laughs> stuck in my head. And, um, before, before you go, I want to learn a little bit more about Jump Recruits. Um, tell us more about your company and what it does. Yeah. yeah. And how you hope. For yeah. It. Yeah. I'll say
1: it this way. And I, and I actually do two things. Um, so, you know, as mentioned a little bit before, we, we're full service recruitment. Um, that means that one, we have consultants on the on the team that work organizations and actually building out strategies and developing those strategies within the organizations. Um, advisors to TA leaders, advisors to DNI leaders to look at the recruitment process and how it connects internally. Uh, but then we also have a recruitment team that does the recruitment for a lot of organizations. To where we're helping you build communities, right? We're big on building communities because if you can build a community of diverse talent. To where you can go in and build relationships, not transact with them, you know, help them develop and grow in their process, understand who they are and their needs, and then provide for their needs in that community. You're making it easier for your team to be able to actually go out and recruit and source great talent because they know who you are. They know the value that they bring to your organization that you bring to them. And we're starting to make that synergy happen before the job offer even goes out. And so helping, you know, make those connections um, from a community perspective, as well as uh, from a recruiter perspective, going out and actually helping organizations build that pipeline internally. And so, you know, that is kind of the the, the the piece around Jump Recruits. We have a lot of tools that help us do that, one being jumprecruits.com, which is actually a talent career advancement platform to mm-hmm. where candidates can go connect with employers, apply for jobs, get content development as such. And then also, I want to say this, is that, you know, I would say when I started Jump, there was always a bigger mission, right? And, and the way that I looked at Jump ultimately at the end of the day was how do we, what's the process of building wealth, right, mm-hmm. in, in in our communities? Um, and I always thought about this aspect of, well, wealth, the first step of doing wealth is having to have stable income and having income that not only can you pay your bills, but you also have enough money to where you can invest, to where you can go and put it into other areas, right, to, help, to let it grow. And so junk recruits was always intended to be the end goal in that process because I always felt that a lot of companies that mentoring programs, they did, you know, helping individuals make it through the current situation that they were in. But then once they got them through those times, once they like get that person to high school and they graduate, it's almost like they kind of let them go to where they didn't help them actually ultimately provide for themselves, provide for them family, their families, give them ways in which they can go in and make an income, which ultimately, if you don't if you don't have a strong mind and a strong head coming out of a lot of those mentoring programs, you're going to resort back to what you know, right? Whether that's mm-hmm. illegal, you know, activity or whatever the case may be. And so the goal was how do we make sure that if we do anything before, you know, mentoring, all these different things, how do we make sure that we have a place that we can send them, right? We can get them jobs, with corporation that can pay them good money to where they can start to build this wealth, invest mm-hmm. in homes, buy homes, you know, long-term assets, things of that nature. And so, Jump actually sits uh, under under a, a broader company called the Cornerstone Collective Group. And look, like, I'm huge, right? You know, we, we talk about the cornerstone, the, the stone that the builders refuse, okay, the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. You know, we get all mm-hmm. into that. We get all into that. Um, but, but they're, they're, you know, f- that organization is focused on kind of a couple of the core pillars for how do we advance the black community how do we advance um the 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 state that we're in that mm-hmm. includes looking at our uh, food insecurity as far as how do we look at the food deserts in which we have in our communities how do we make sure that we're able to provide healthy options, understanding that we're leaders in diabetes, we're leaders in various different heart conditions, high blood pressure, and a lot of it is because of what we eat. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is because of ultimately what we're getting right from the scraps and things of that nature. And so how do we help lead healthier lives right by making food more secure, by giving options to where you don't have to charge four or five times extra right in order to actually get some something healthy right which is which is crazy right In order for me to eat healthy i got to pay three times as much um or i got to get you know processed food which i'm not going to get into beyond meat uh, but <laughs> <so> <laughs> and then the other part <laughs> in that is uh is education and so and this is, this is a part, I'm, I'm not an educator. I, I support all of my educators. I love you. You got patience. They mm-hmm. should pay y'all three times the amount of money they pay you or five times. Trust me, there's not enough for <laughs> what you do, right? Um, right? But how do we, from an early age, help our children grow up to where not only do they have knowledge about what's around them, but they have knowledge of themselves, they have knowledge mm. of where they come from right i i I like to say this and is that a lot of people say, well, you know, blacks, you know you've made a lot of progress, and i you know I, I think and I look and I listen, you know, um, you made a lot of progress, blah blah blah, and I'm just saying to myself, like yes, I made a lot of progress if you assume that the beginning of black people was slavery, mm." And if that's where you start our mm. existence, then you could say we made some type of progress. But mm. if we go back to where were we before slavery, who are we? who were we before slavery? Mm. And that's the part to where we're not addressing, right? Mm-hmm. We don't wanna address, right? We don't wanna talk about the impact that Africa had on the world. We don't wanna understand the roots of who we are mm. um, as people, right? we have to stop just as as black people right even for us the question isn't who are we to white people who are we to others the real question is you know who are we to each other who are we to ourselves and Mm -hmm. that's something that like it involved like a deep self-reflection and understanding that i want to make sure that our kids learn that like to have that self-love to know that you know 1619 wasn't the beginning of Mm -hmm. your existence To know that the kings and queens of your lineage is there to understand the Mm. impact at every point of the earth came from a place in which you originate from is something to where we're not giving enough to our children and they're not understanding and actually getting that information as they as they grow. And so the Mm. education piece is about how do we give that information, drop breadcrumbs to where they can start to dig deeper and know that, you know, when you say Juneteenth and you say, mm-hmm. well, this is the ending of slavery in the US, right? Mm-hmm. We've dropped enough breadcrumbs to where they know that June, June 19, 1865 was not the ending of slavery because there were still 225,000 slaves in Delaware and West Virginia at that time to where they did not get free until December 6th. That's an important fact because if you dictate my history, by you know, the, then I don't know the real truth to that you had a quarter million people still in bondage. In of in the partners in part of the United States, that's stuff that we need to understand, right? That's stuff to where, you know, we need to understand that sixteen mm. nineteen, you know, to sixteen nineteen to eighteen sixty five two hundred, what sixty some odd years, right? In Slavery, bondage, 16, 1865 to eighteen seventy seven, probably the most important point for blacks in america which is reconstruction we was able to build wealth we was able to actually go out on property we was able to actually go out and start to build for ourselves and our community Mm -hmm. 1877 came around that was the 18 1877 compromise 1877 compromise 1876 reconstruction ends jim crow comes into play racism you know restricting people to vote that goes Mm -hmm. in for almost 90 something odd years right? And then you have Civil Rights Act of 18, 1965, you have Fair Housing, you have affirmative action. Um, Fair Housing was 18, was 1969, 1968, um, ratified uh, 1969. Think about it this way. Mm -hmm. So in 1970, let's just take that as a, as a date. Children, Black children in America born in 1970 was the first children, African-Americans born with all their rights. As a citizen of the United imagine
0: States. Not, imagine that. Imagine So recent in history, and that is
1: 1970 is not a long time. Mm. The, that's, how, that's how we got look like look at this right. And so, the way that we've been taught, the information that we've been given, right, understanding like the impact and like just that knowledge overall is something that I think that from an education perspective, we have to reprogram our children if we want to have you know a vibrant um, culture and and moving forward, right? Um, mm-hmm. there's so much that's happening now that's trying to eliminate who we are as individuals and who the impact that we've made on this world mm-hmm. to where we need to let our children know that is greater than what you've been told. And so that's a part of that's, that's a part of from the Cornerstone Collective group. And that's like the bigger mission, right? And so how do we move that forward? And how do we make sure that, you know, we're setting up the next generation, right? And I'll leave you with this is that you know, I live my life by a leadership legacy statement, and that says that whether I meet you one time or I meet you ten times, I want to make sure that I'm intentional about how I interact with you. Hmm. And that means that when I'm, you know, dead and gone, right? I always tell, I always tell my my wife this is that look. I'm gonna have <laughs> stadium, but you got to RSVP for my funeral. I'm just gonna be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> so, it's not gonna be enough seats, and so, but. Everybody, you know, I want everybody to say it was the end of the day that, one, I extended the bridge and I gave all that I had until there was nothing left. And that's every time I have those interactions, I'm focusing on how do I extend the bridge? How do I make sure that that person coming behind me, that youth, that individual coming behind me, can walk smoothly past the obstacles and challenges that I had to face, face and make sure that they continue to move this path forward? Right. Whether that's building wealth, whether that's being an impact in the world whatever that is, right? We just need to make sure that everything that we do and everything that I do extends that bridge because my children should not go through the same thing that I went through, right? As they move through their lives, right? And so-
0: Incredible. That's it. Wow. 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 How can folks reach you, Cedric?
1: Yes, look, I'm on all social media as Cedric Empowers uh, it's at Cedric Empowers, also, uh, CedricLchambers.com is the website. Um, and then you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, um, all of that good jazz, right? So connect. We'd love to, um, you know, hear folks' thoughts. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you, right? Thank for being you. a guest on the, on the show you. here. And so I I just, I love the, I love the work that you're doing. I saw the episodes, you know, I was binge binge watching. And so just (laughs) listening and having those discussions, these are needed discussions that we have to have and Mm -hmm. having more um, is needed. So I thank you for everything that you're doing.
0: Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Nice. Wow. That was so rich, so dense. And what I love about Cedric is that he is a doer. (laughs) and not just a talker, because there are lots of talking heads, but not many actually funnel all that grammar, as we say, into action, action that moves the needle and sees impact. And so Cedric is rare. And key for us to see the needle being shifted on this diversity and inclusion conversation is an improvement in psychological safety in companies. And I talk about this in my upcoming book, Lifetime's Legacy. Dr. Timothy Clark, who's an expert on this topic of psychological safety, he found that there are four stages that are needed such that members will feel safe to contribute and challenge the status quo. And it's until we've been through these four stages that we will see the full benefits of diversity and get the benefits in terms of diversity of thought, in terms of contribution, in terms of revenue, profits. The studies have shown that diversity is not just, you know, something that we talk about. It's not just a fad. It has real bottom line impacts. But companies need to ensure that they foster inclusion safety, which is where folks feel that they belong right? They feel courageous enough to be themselves and showcase their unique attributes and characteristics. And the next is learner safety, where folks feel the need to learn and develop and they pursue personal growth and this journey of mastery. The third stage is contributor safety, which refers to the need to want to make a difference and actually not just learn, soaking in knowledge, but actually contributes producing insights, perspectives and knowledge. So the distinction between learner and contributor is learners unidirectional. So um, an individual wants to learn from people around them and soak information like a sponge, whereas a contributor, also it goes the other way, right? And then lastly, challenger safety, which is my absolute favourite. Challenger safety is where folks feel the need to actually make things better and they feel safe to speak up and challenge the status quo because it's here where we enter into the realm of creativity and innovation we can't just be satisfied by the status quo we must be curious and open towards doing things in a different way to bring about better results So yeah, I absolutely love this conversation with Cedric and for those that would like to find more information on my book, it's coming out in January. Um, You can click in the link in the show notes to join my mailing list so you'll be kept abreast of when it's out. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Take good care and God bless you.